Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Well, we are actually in the final week, the final Sunday of our message series called Lasting Words. That's primarily been from John chapter 17. We also looked a little bit about the end of John 16. But in John chapter 17, Jesus is mostly uh, praying for, well, the whole thing is a prayer. He prays first for himself, then he prays for his disciples surrounding him. And then after that, he actually prays for those who would believe in him who are still yet to believe, meaning we gathered here today. Uh, we began all the way back in the beginning of September with a series called Jesus Continued. We began in John chapter 14, and throughout this, especially in October, we talked about sort of the, the grand storyline that Scripture gives to us and how important it is for us to understand and place ourselves in that storyline and see the big picture of what God is doing in our world, the big picture of how we got here in what the world is coming to. That's important not only because it's just always important for us to have perspective on God's truth, but John himself in his gospel is very passionate about framing everything that he does within the big story. He gives the account of Jesus, and as he gives that account, he actually himself frames it within the larger story, and so we feel especially that it's important to, to frame it for us as well. Actually, let me just dive into the one of the verses we're going to be looking at this morning. In John chapter 17, verse 24, here's what Jesus is praying to the fathers, to the Father regarding those of us who are still yet to believe meaning we gather here today. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. That's the future. That's the end of the story. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. That's the beginning of the story. In that one verse, John, in John chapter 17, verse 24, one of our verses for this morning, John actually himself kind of gives the book end to that whole story because John is passionate about framing everything that he's writing about and who the person of Jesus, of who the person of Jesus is within a larger story. So I want to do a little bit of review. If you've been around Southridge for a while, especially in the fall, we talked about this probably two or three weeks because it's important that we kind of get this locked in and it frames how we understand and see most of the Bible. Now we said that the story begins for, for, for us as human beings at being created. We know that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian God, pre-existed creation. Uh, so Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, all of them existed prior to creation eternally. But scripture begins with God being present, a Trinitarian God being present, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being present. And it begins with their activity in creating human beings. Again, I mentioned part of the reason we're doing this is not just because it shows up in a verse that we're looking at this morning, but also because John himself is passionate about this. So John opens up his whole gospel with exactly this. 
He says, John chapter one, verse one, here's what he says. In the beginning, that reminds you right away of the first few words of the whole Bible. In the beginning, that's how John begins his gospel. He's couching everything he writes within the larger story. In the beginning was the word. That's the person of Jesus. We learn that later on. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And here's what John says, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was a light of all mankind. So John begins his gospel where the Bible begins its story. And he says, in the beginning, you and I were created to be present with the holy God. We are created to be present with God. God did not create you because he's lonely. He didn't create you because he was bored. You may have an interesting personality, but God did not create you because he was bored. God, listen to this, God created you because his joy of being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is so deep and so beautiful and so glorious. He actually wanted you to be a participant in that. God created you so that you could be a participant in the beauty, the wonder, the gloriousness, the goodness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Friends, that's an incredible vision of why we're here, of why every human being on planet Earth exists. Now, it doesn't take long before you say, eh, like, that's kind of hard to believe, right? I mean, kind of look at our present world. How much would we say that characterizes our present world? Our present world is broken. And so John next talks about that the reason we don't experience what we were originally created for is because God's presence with us has been separated. It's been violated. It's been torn apart. Earlier in John, he says, in him was life, and that life was a light of all mankind. In other words, Adam and Eve chose to remove themselves from the life that God gave them. They chose to try to provide life for themselves. And when they made that decision, them and all of humanity and all of creation got separated from God's presence. One of John's favorite words, actually, in his gospel to represent that is the idea of darkness. John uses the word darkness to describe separated presence. He says this in John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He says in verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. If you look at John's gospel, several times he uses the word night to sort of capture that idea of darkness. He says in John chapter three that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. If you look at John chapter 13 and verse 30, this is right before John 14 that we've started to talk about. G Judas, as it walks out of the last supper and John says it was night. And so John is, again, passionate about telling the whole story. And he says, we were once created to be present with God, but now we live in darkness. Now we live in light. 
The beauty and wonder and goodness of God's presence has been taken away because we've chosen to find life in and of ourselves. But then John's account eventually gets to the core of what he's talking about, and that is the coming of Jesus. We said that in the Old Testament, God shows up time and time again, and he interacts with the nation of Israel. But his primary promise to the nation of Israel is this. He says, I'm going to eventually come myself. I'm going to bring a deliverer. And so Jesus comes, his first coming, he's born in Bethlehem's major. God himself steps out of heaven and shows up physically in his creation in a small town called Bethlehem. God shows up on the scene himself. That's what John says in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And so the message of scripture and what John is saying is, yes, there's created presence, there's separated presence. And to deal with all that, Jesus himself comes in flesh and dwells among us. We've mentioned a number of times that these very chapters, John 14 through 17, are literally hours before Jesus goes to the cross And so Jesus comes primarily to live a sinless life, to die. He's raised to life. He's ascended to heaven. And so John 17 is, might be happening, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven o'clock in the evening on Thursday evening. By nine o'clock Friday morning, Jesus would be hanging on a cross. So that's why these chapters are just so incredibly powerful. These are the final words of Jesus to his disciples, literally hours, less than probably 12 hours before he's actually crucified. And when he's raised to life three days later, when he ascends to heaven eventually, Jesus comes so that there's the redeemed and restored presence of God so that we can be welcomed as God's sons and daughters into his presence in a spiritual sense. But then that also moves on to his presence ultimately being fulfilled when God dwells with his people once again. Before we get there, John also goes on. He says, Jesus ascends to heaven. But when he ascends to heaven, we entitled our series during the fall, Jesus Continued. The reason we did that is because Jesus said to his disciples, hey, look, even though I'm going to physically and bodily ascend to heaven, my presence is going to continue to be with you because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to indwell you. The Holy Spirit is going to bring my life to live within you. And so presently, like, I don't know where we are in this continuum, but we're in here somewhere. Uh, That's where we are. And so the Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit is present with us. Jesus' presence dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus continued. And now Jesus is praying these, these lasting and final words for those who would eventually believe. Eventually, Jesus is going to come again. He's going to come a second time and bring God's rule and reign to earth. He's going to bring the peace and harmony and beauty that exists in heaven that God originally created us for all the way back in the Garden of Eden. He's going to bring that again to cover literally the whole earth. Again, 
John chapter 17, verse 24. Father, I want those you have given to me, listen to this, to be with me where I am. John records this prayer of Jesus, and Jesus is literally praying about this fulfilled presence. I want them to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. See that, the, John chapter 17, verse 20, the very verse that we're talking about today actually encompasses this whole story. John is passionate about that. Just a few things to maybe take away from that, from that verse. What does living in this story bring us? What's the result of that? Number one, it brings us joy. It brings us joy. It's sort of odd, isn't it? In John 14 through 17, Jesus is just hours away from the cross. But the word joy is mentioned over half a dozen times in those few chapters. Strange word to show up, isn't it? I mean, you would think that an hours before the cross, Jesus would not be talking about joy, but that's exactly what he's talking about. Hours before he's crucified, one of the primary themes of what Jesus talks about is joy. Even though he's headed to the cross, because he knows that through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, we're going to be able to enter the presence of God that his Holy Spirit is going to be able to indwell us, that once again, we're going to be in union with the person of Christ. Listen, friends, Jesus was telling his disciples, even the next number of hours are going to be utterly horrific. He was saying to them, your circumstances do not define your story. If your circumstances define your story, you're kind of in some trouble. Because every one of us in this room has difficult circumstances. You can look at our world, friends. We've got many tragic, incredibly difficult circumstances. But as followers of Jesus, your circumstances do not define your story. Instead, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the life of Jesus defines your story. Jesus came and said, I am coming to bring life, which simply means this. You're off the hook. You can release the burden for trying to find life for yourself. We live in a world that's frantic with finding life. We live in a world that's desperate to find some kind of life somewhere. Jesus comes and says, your circumstances do not define your story. Instead, life is found in me. It's not always easy because for us to enter God's life, it means that we need to release and kind of let go of the way that we clamor for life. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. In other words, Paul's saying, this is my way of saying I cannot create life for myself. I hit a dead end when I try to find life for myself. 
The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, listen, the life that you live is lived by faith in, that creates union with Christ. You are united to him, and that brings life. That brings joy because your circumstances don't define your story. Jesus defines your story. So that's one of the implications in joy, of jo- is joy. Second implication is simply this. Not only do you have joy, but you're actually empowered to serve and love and grow deeper in your relationship with God. Throughout this series, we've looked at the number of times that Jesus has talked about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, Jesus mentions the Holy Spirit many times. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to continue to lead and guide you into truth. The Holy Spirit is going to point you to believe and trust in me. The Holy Spirit is going to make my life come alive in you. And so you are empowered through the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. It's kind of a a strange thing, though, that happens. I'm going to go back a couple of verses in John chapter 17, verses uh, 21 and 22. Here's what Jesus prays earlier. These are actually the verses that we looked at last week. Didn't get to cover this one little component, so I want to cover it this morning. Jesus says this. He prays this. May they also be in us. This is at the end of verse 21. that That the world may believe that you have sent me. And then he says this, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Now, that's kind of scary, and here's why. Because at the beginning of John 17, when Jesus opens this prayer, here's what he says. Listen, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. How is Jesus glorified? Part of the path to the son being glorified was the path of the cross. It was the path of obedience to the father in heaven. It was the path of releasing and relinquishing his own control, his own autonomy. It was a path of giving himself to the father and going to the cross. That was his hour of glory. And so when Jesus prays, I have given them the glory that you gave me. He's also praying I give to them the opportunity to live in obedience to the Father in heaven. I give them the opportunity to become your sons and daughters, but part of that path is also them releasing their lives and being submitted to the Holy Spirit and living life in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Because, friends, when we serve others, whether it's here at Southridge, whether it's in our community, whoever it is or wherever it is that you serve. You don't do that simply in your own flesh. If you change diapers and nursery, if you lead life groups, if you work with SR students, if you greet others, if you pray for others, whatever you do in service to others, whether it's here on this campus, whether it's off this campus, whatever it is, friends, here's the deal. Because the Holy Spirit indwells you, you are empowered to serve others. Be aware of that. Be conscious with it as you serve. 
realizing that it's not your life that's serving. Instead, it's the life of Christ living through you as you serve others. Don't serve in your own power. Don't serve in your own strength. Instead, be aware that Christ dwells in you through the Holy Spirit. And your service is going to look like relinquishing the autonomy over your own life. It's going to look like taking your hands off of controlling your own life. It's going to look like walking the path of obedience to the Father, just as Jesus did himself. Living in the story brings joy. It brings a sense of empowerment. Lastly, it also brings confidence. It brings confidence that one day the prayer of Jesus will be fulfilled. Again, John chapter 17, verse 24. Father, I want those you've given to me to be with me where I am. Listen, friends, that prayer will be fulfilled. One day there will be the fulfilled presence of Jesus' prayer. One day, Jesus will descend from heaven. He will come a second time. And in answer to his prayer, we will be with him where he is. If we pass away before he comes, we're present with him in heaven. But someday when he comes... And he brings his new creation. He creates a new heaven and a new earth. He brings restoration to our earth. His presence will be with us. And so we can live with courage and confidence. Here's what he goes on to say. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Listen, friends, may that may this final words of Jesus' prayer be fulfilled. May the world know that God loves us. May Jesus himself be in us. Imagine the impact on our world if we were aware, if we lived according to the truth that Christ dwells in us through his spirit. May Jesus continue to make his love known through us, even as Jesus dwells in us through his spirit. This is the story that John says, and he says, live in the story. Live with a sense of joy. Live being empowered by the Holy Spirit's presence in you. Live with a sense of confidence and courage, knowing that Jesus' presence will be fulfilled for all time as we dwell with him and he with us. We're going to conclude our time by celebrating communion together. Hopefully you got some communion elements as you came in. Uh, if you didn't, please raise your hand and our ushers looking forward and they would be more than happy to, to give you some elements to celebrate communion with us. And no better time as we come to the end of this series and celebrate together the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's not important for you to be a member here at Southridge to take communion. Uh, we simply would ask that you have...
become united with Christ through faith. That you've expressed to the God of heaven the sense that you know that he's given you life. He's, he's created your life. That you're separated from him because of sin and evil and darkness. And that Jesus is the means by which you can become his son and daughter. So that at the end of the story, you're forever in his presence. As we take the elements this morning, can peel back the clear cellophane to, to get to the wafer. Here's what I want you to remember, a couple things. Number one, as we eat the wafer and drink the juice, we're eating and drinking the reminder of the cost that God placed on himself, that his son took for us to be reunited with his story. Do you realize the cost that God paid for you to be part of his story. He wants his love. He wants his joy to surround you. So much so that he went through the horror of a crucifixion so that your story could be reconnected with the story of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Second thing I want to ask you to remember is this. Jesus ascended to heaven. And now he leaves us as his followers, whom the Holy Spirit indwells, to be his living presence in the world. You know, sometimes we pray that as a church, Southridge Community Church, sometimes we say, may we be the hands and feet of Jesus. You know what scares me about that? Is I know what happened to the hands and feet of Jesus. If we're going to pray... May we be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. We better be aware of what happened to the hands and feet of Jesus. They were pierced. They were crucified. They were surrendered to the will of the Father in heaven so that you could have life. And so when we take communion, we embrace Jesus' death for ourselves. We also acknowledge that we are here to give ourselves to him. Then lastly, 
we also take communion remembering the final promise for Jesus to dwell with us. Let me read these verses from Matthew chapter 26 and then we'll take the elements. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not eat, I, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's take the wafer. Let's take the cup of juice. Let's eat and drink, knowing the cost that Jesus gave, knowing the cost of what it looks like to serve him, and knowing the beauty of what it looks like to look forward when his presence is fulfilled. Let's take the wafer and cup together. To conclude our series, we're going to stand and sing the doxology. Again, John 14 through 17, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's stand and sing praise to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the story that we live in. It's the story of our creation. It's the story of our salvation and redemption. It's the story of our restoration. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's sing the doxology together.
God, thank you that we live in your story. That you are our creator. That you are our savior, our redeemer, our restorer. And you will bring about a new creation. May we live life with joy. May we be empowered by your Holy Spirit. May we live confident in the fact that the story will be recreated. May we as a church live out your life. May you dwell in us through faith. And may the Holy Spirit be at work around us and through us. We pray this to the Father in the name of Jesus and in the Holy Spirit, we ask it. And everyone who agreed said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Our prayer team is down here to the right. God bless. Have a great day.